Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. Sober by Design podcast. Um, This is episode three, and I am here with uh, Jeannie Gebhard. Jeannie, did I say your last name correct? You absolutely did. Okay, I, I was. Thank I, I you. Was most, hoping. most people don't. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I've known Jeannie for a little bit uh, through our Instagrams. Um, I would say probably a little over a year, if not closer to two. I don't know. Time has been weird, um, but it is the first interview with like a parasocial relationship um of mine so this this is going to be interesting because i think i know a little bit about Jeannie's life but i'm sure i'm going to learn so much more (laughs) so um Jeannie, if you could just give us a little background on you know your early life and and sort of what led you to um drinking absolutely um thank you so much um hello to all of your viewers Um, that will be listening to this. And thank you for listening to my story. And I hope that if somebody is struggling, that they can take away something from this and identify. With me, um, I am, I just turned 55, double nickels, as my brother says. Um, I am the oldest of four children. we are all sober now, and I will get into that in a little bit, um, but I grew up in um, St. Louis, Missouri, just outside in a suburb. Um, I We had a very priv- privileged life, um, one that involved lots of drinking and lots of alcoholism. Um, my mother's father passed away at 65 of cirrhosis. And at the time I was, I was only 12 when he passed away and he was very, very special to me. Um, He, he took on, he took on so much. He was a self-made man. Um, He grew up very poor um, and moved his family to St. Louis to start a company, a river transportation company. And his life sort of became, um, you know, all about pleasing people and making money. And, and I I don't think it was ever enough for him. And I think that was his worth. Um, And then when he retired, he retired very early and my uncle took over his business. He, just started drinking a lot. And I didn't, I didn't really understand that. I always saw him with a drink in his hand. I always saw everybody in my family with a drink in their hand. Right. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, 
Um, you know, my grandparents had a pool and, you know, summers, it, it was like a big cocktail party by the pool. And to me, it looked all glamorous, but, you know, on the inside, my grandfather was just crumbling. And I remember going to see him in the hospital. And if you've ever seen somebody that's sick with cirrhosis, now I didn't know it was cirrhosis, but it's just an awful death. Um, and so we started drinking. St. Louis is I don't know. I don't, I can't remember where you're from. I am Jersey based. So, and I've never been to St. Louis. Yeah. So I don't know St. Louis at all. Okay. Um, at, you know, Um, I've been to a couple places, your direction, but never, never St. Louis. So St. Louis is, is known, is known for a big drinking town. I mean, Anheuser-Busch is based here. Um, and, I feel like, I feel like drinking was, was such a part of our, you know, growing up and it's such a part of our our culture and, you know, we don't have, you know, you guys in Jersey, you have beaches, you have, there's, there's so many things to do. St. Louis is, we're kind of like landlocked. And I think as teenagers, you know, I just dove into drinking at 13 Oh, wow. I, um, yeah, 13, seventh grade, we were drinking every weekend. Um, you know, I was hanging out with the older boys. Um, and I, I just didn't have, I didn't have any aim in life. And I think, and I don't want this to be about like, cause I'm not here to bash my parents. I love my parents, sure. but you know, as you know, when you get sober, you kind of look at that. And I've also taken a little dip. I've dipped my toes into ACA a little bit, and that's super intense. So I had to kind of pull the reins back on that. But um, my parents had me when they were really young. They were 23. And I, I don't think I fit into what, you know, like my dad wanted me to play sports. Well, mm-hmm. girls didn't really play sports back then. Um, I, the only sport really was offered was softball. And so I felt like, and then my brother came along and he was 19 months younger. And so he was kind of, he kind of became the golden boy, you know, like he was involved in the sports and everything. And well, so fast forward, I, I, um, you know, through high school, I started to, um, my first bout of depression was at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a suicide attempt, which landed me in um, what I called it, the teenage psych ward um, for a month, one summer. And there was never a correlation with the doctor's like, well, maybe she's depressed because she drinks and maybe she shouldn't drink. Um, you know, they just put me, they just put me on different meds and tried to get me better. And I did get better for a while and antidepressants did help me. But what people don't realize about antidepressants is that if you drink on them, they don't work. Yeah. 100. They don't work as effectively. And they, so it's just, you know, doctors will tell you that and people don't really listen to that advice. And, 
I didn't listen to that advice. Um, but, and so my depression sort of, it got better sometimes, but then it leveled off. In college, I had some really bad drinking episodes. Um, I will fast forward to college because there's so much more of a deeper dive in that. Um, I went to uh, George Washington University. Okay. Um, at the time, the drinking age was 18. Um, and that just, uh, that just started some really bad, uh, some bad nights with, with the drinking and the bad decision-making. And, um, I did, um, get into, um, cocaine, um, for a while. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you've, if you've ever done cocaine, um, but, I refer to cocaine as the devil's drug because it just, um, it puts, it, it put me in, in just an absolute like state of depression that I couldn't get out of. And it was like a cycle, hmm. but eventually, eventually I stopped that for a while. Um, but one thing about my drinking that, that I have acknowledged and that I've accepted and learned to understand is that I, I was never one of those people that woke up in the morning and reached under the bed for a handle of vodka. Um, when I drank, yes, I drank too much. I never landed in the ER because of my drinking. I never had a DUI. Um, you know, my ex-husband was at one point going to take my children away, but it was the decisions that I made um, when I was using and when I was drinking. Um, you know, at one point I had, you know, pawned my grandmother's like diamond and, and platinum wedding ring, right? you know, to, to score drugs. And I actually, I thank God I got, I was able to get that back. But, um, you know, it's just things like that. Um, so two weeks before college graduation, I met my first husband. Um, he and I were amazing together. Um, you know, I, I do actually love him still to this day. Um, we still do talk occasionally, but we were just extremely, extremely toxic with each other. And, you know, that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, landed us in a, you know, whirling dervish of, you know, we'd break up, we'd get back together, then finally we got married, then divorced within a year, and then we got back together. Okay. So, you know, this is the kind of behavior, this is the kind of behavior I'm talking about, like, the the decisions that I made in my life were just not rock solid decisions. Right. Right. Um, that I make now. Um, so I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, I broke up with, <laughs> I broke up with him three months later. I met my second husband, second ex-husband whom I have three beautiful daughters with. Um, but he and I were just not, he was not right for me and I was not right for him. And, you know, then, um, 
we were, he and I were in a really bad spot. It was 2009, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he was a drinker as well, but I don't think he wanted to admit that. So, um, he knew something was wrong, but he thought I was just depressed because I, I don't think he wanted to look at his own drinking. And, um, so he told my sister in confidence, you know, you have to do something with Beanie because she's really bad. And so I had an intervention and they took me to treatment Okay. and I don't think and that was 2009. That was May 22nd, 2009. I'll never forget that day because that was my first sobriety date. Mm -hmm. And I went to California to treatment. It was great. But unfortunately, I came home to um, a marriage that was unstable. Um, I had three young kids. You know, my ex-husband was like, you're, you're drinking, it's your problem. So... I'm going to drink in front of you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I actually white knuckled it for a year. Okay. And finally I had a relapse. Um, I had a really bad relapse and he, he came home and found me and my sister had taken my children for the day. And um, that was sort of the end of our marriage um, because I, I, was slowly learning and you know this um when you get sober you you don't have a mask anymore and you don't have you can't there's nowhere to hide right like i i hid i hid my whole life i hid my feelings i hid you know i had imposter syndrome my entire life i was always trying to please somebody else and i just couldn't i couldn't stay in the marriage and so in 2010, we got separated. 2011, we got divorced. And then I, from about, well, 2011, I met somebody um, from my past, reconnected with somebody from my past. And it was not, it was not a good relationship. And I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody that, well, you're married. So, uh, um, no, I've been, I've been with was, my wife for, since, uh, college. So I don't know that I oh, can wow, relate okay. to this one, but let's hear it. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here to, to call out names or anything, yeah. but, um, you know, he was just not good for me. He had some mental health struggles that he wasn't addressing. And he was kind of signing off on my bullshit. He, he was saying, you know, well, to my brother, because he was talking to my brother and saying, well, Jeannie's not an alcoholic. She's just depressed. And you just the same thing over and over again. And so um, what I sort of had to face also in, in that relationship was, um, you know, love addiction. Um, it's, it's a very powerful thing. And I was addicted to this person mm -hmm. and anything this person said, I believed. And, um, you know, finally I was sent to treatment again in 2013 
um, on my other sobriety date, which is not my current one, okay. um, was Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, 2013. Um, so I came home from treatment and I was doing great. Um, I came home to a lot of challenges, but I sort of started my life over, started dating again. Um, and for me, that's, you know, complete transparencies, like relationships are sometimes triggers for me. Um, and I, uh, I had a relapse back in September, 2018. So my current sobriety date is September 14th, 2018. Okay. And I think, and you know, since then life has not been a better roses at all. Um, I can be really dramatic too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, let's see what's happened since then. Um, so 2018, I met my uh, most recent former partner mm -hmm. and um, dated him, started a new job, um, and then COVID oh, hit. COVID was in and there. And you know the yep. challenges with that. Um then my entire family announced that they were moving to Colorado. My family has, you know, my sisters in St. Louis, my parents had been in the same house that they were in for 50 years. And all of a sudden everybody's leaving me. And so my, you know, my childhood abandonment issues started kicking in and, mm -hmm. but I, I made it through, I made it through that. I made it through, um, I made it through, um, my, my relationship ended last year. I ended my relationship just okay. right before, um, 4th of July. Um, you know, this person and I had, had discussed getting married and we just, our values and beliefs were not aligned with each other. Mm -hmm. And I had to walk away from that relationship. Um, but I made it through and I made it through sober. Um, and what I, I think the one thing that I've learned in this journey from 2009 to what, 2023 is that life still happens on life's terms. It doesn't happen on my terms. You know, I was that stage director in the big book. I wanted everybody to do what I wanted them to do. And you sit over there, you sit over there, you do that, you do this. Sure. Um, life is not, life is not a pretty packaged bow that I was always misled to believe it was. And, you know, maybe I, maybe as a child, I had rose colored glasses mm -hmm. or I was sheltered, you know, I was sheltered by things. Um, but that's the one thing that I've taken away from sobriety. And 
you know, um, this, this school shooting that happened on Monday, um, you know, my niece and nephew go to that school. Yeah. I wanted to talk, and, talk to um, you about that. Cause you had posted something and, um, you know, I, I just, yeah. Thought, yeah, I thought that'd be, be something that we could touch on. Um, maybe we'll, we'll wait. Yeah. Can, can we put a pin in that one? And yeah. then we'll talk about that one in a little bit. Cause sure, I have, I have sure. so many thoughts on that and, you know, I was going to just open up the mic one night and talk about it. But then I was like, ah, you know, maybe we'll talk about it Thursday. And I, I wasn't sure where your head would be, but I'm glad you brought it up so we could talk about it in a minute. Um, I want to. Yeah. But, I, you know, when things like that happen, um, when things like that had happened in the past, this was the point I was trying to make is that's when I would drink. Sure. When, when something, when it's, when a tragedy would happen, I would drink, but when I was happy, I would drink. Right. Any occasion. So, yeah, exactly. Because that's probably, you know, just going back to your story a little bit, like you were saying, like it was always happening around your house, you know, there was the pool parties. So you were seeing it in good times and then you were probably seeing it used as a crutch during bad times too, which is super normal in our, you know, you know, in our lifetimes, unfortunately. Um, Absolutely. You know, I don't think that people really um, have developed a a healthy relationship with alcohol in America in general. Um, It's a very weird relationship that we have with it for the most part. Um, I would agree. One thing I did want to point out, you said ACA, and I have never been to that. It's uh, adult children of alcoholics, right? Um, Yes. Yes. So I 100% could go. Um, I grew up, you know, my mother was an alcoholic, and she found recovery before she um, passed away. Um, And she was sober for like 20-some-odd years, so it it did work. But, uh, you know, I do know people have gone there, and it's it's a program for sure. Right. And it's not for everybody. Um, Absolutely. You know, I tell everybody, you know, you, you know, people that I coach, I, I'm very, you know, open about the programs and, you know, the differences between them all. Um, it sounds like you, are you currently attending AA? Um, do you, have you in the past? Is that your, you know, methodology? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, yes. I, um, I usually go, well, and I, I just began a new job in March, mm-hmm. um, but I just, I just went to my first meeting in a month this morning and you know what they say, like you always feel better after you leave a meeting. I wasn't even feeling really any angst this morning, but I, when I, but when I walked out, I had two friends that were celebrating a year of sobriety and one of them's this young kid and he's a musician and he's just adorable. And, you know, I just, it just like filled my spirit. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I tried to go in the past when I was, you know, working at home and, and things, I would pretty much go every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I sort of have to fit that in my life. Um, but, you know, my, and my social life. I mean, every, I was just telling someone this the other day, I think 
99.9% of the people that I talk to on a daily basis, I met through AA. Now, maybe they don't go to AA. I have a friend who just had 20 years sober, 21 years sober, mm-hmm. and she hasn't been to a meeting in five years, but she doesn't drink and she's one of my best friends. Um, I just, I, I know you wanted, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like segueing into this and you can stop me if yeah. you want, but I know one of the things that we kind of talked about prior to the podcast is, you know, you wanted to know my life after. Yeah. No, I think um, life after is the most interesting part, you know? Um, yes. You know, how, you know, my big thing the- is how do we live after? Because I think some people get so caught up in the recovery aspect of recovery you know, like you can sort of spin on that exactly, and just like live your life going to AA meetings every night. And then, you know, in the afternoon and talking about it and which, you know, right. I, you know, is it, is an issue in itself, um, for sure. And, you know, and this, I, I got sober in, in AA meetings and then there was a point where it wasn't serving me anymore. Um, that was mm-hmm. for me you know, and, and, um, but in there, I did start to feel like, well, it's either like always this, or I can go out there and live a little bit, you know, and I, and I, think, you know, and I think that's super important. So I know you do live your life now. And, you know, I think that that's probably why, you know, it's, it's sticking a little bit more, right from 2018, through all those hard times. Right. You you were like, well, this is life without it. And it's it's good. Right. So it's really good. So and especially, you know, since I ended my relationship last year, um, you know, being I haven't been single like this Mm -hmm. in since I was 16. (laughs) Um, Sad to say, but I kind of made a. I did make a conscious like choice. I just, I just knew that if I were to propel myself into, you know, falling into a relationship with the first person that, you know, showed me some attention and affection because I do love being in a relationship, but I knew that I knew that it wasn't going to be good for me. And I knew that I had, I had to be alone. Mm -hmm. And that really scared me, but I have, you know, I have a group of friends that, um, one of my best friends, Byron, hi Byron, um, Byron and I have known each other since we were like 13. Yep. Um, he went to, he went, he went to a boys school. I went to public school, but, um, we had lost touch since high school. And then I ran into him in an AA meeting, but you know, he, he and I both love live music. We both love the Grateful Dead. So we started, you know, going out on Wednesday night to see bands and things. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people that are like, how can you do that? And I said, well, you know, just like what you said, like, I have to live my life. Mm-hmm. I can't sit in my condo in this little bubble and, not do what I want to do. Now it, 
it may not be good for somebody that's got five days sober, right? You know, to go to a bar in downtown St. Louis and where it stinks like stale beer and you could be triggered. Um, I just don't, I don't get triggered anymore. It's really weird. I, I can go to a bar, I can sit at the bar, you know, and drink a soda or drink a mocktail. And I've done that so often. Right. And I don't even want to drink because I don't, I, I know where it's going to go. I play the tape. But also, I know, I know where, I know where it would take me. Right, you playing the tape is such and a I, huge, and I don't want to risk huge tool, right? The, yeah. the tape playing, like, hey, if I have that drink, then this happens, then that happens, then you know, and and you kind of can go to the next morning pretty quick and understand where you're going to be. Um, so that's a great tool. Yes, um, yes, like on the sidewalk somewhere, you right, know. Right. Um, yeah, and like shame and all the things that come yeah. after. You know, I oh the shame after a relapse is just the worst. It's palpable. I mean, you could just cut it with a knife. Yeah. I mean, even just the shame the night after drinking, uh, right? Like when you we were active drinking. Yes, there was this shame that you carried the day after, um, that was like very hard in the morning, and then by s some miracle, you know in the afternoon that shame was gone and, and you were like ready to do it again. Um, but that was a big part of it in the mornings was this, this shame feeling for me. Um, you know. Oh, this, yes. And, and the waking up and saying, you know, I, I won't do this ever again. Right. And it's very weird. You know, looking at, I, I remember, you know, looking at your phones, like who did I text? <laughs> last night you know the whole just the whole thing the whole thing yeah you was know a mess i do think that the the music thing is interesting because for me music is super important and i think i've i've reached out to you a couple of times that i've seen you at different shows of bands that i you know enjoy and like and we kind of follow the same type of music scene the dead and fish and um i think you might have been in Colorado and seen Goose there. Are you? Did you see Goose? I can't even remember. No. No. Okay. That that was not I. Okay. Um, but you know, it's just a big part of my uh life. We try to get out to live music once a month. Um, you know, it it's not always easy, but I think it's the intention, right? You're going to that bar with the intention of watching music, not to drink. And I think that that's the important right. thing. Right. You know, you're not, so right. it becomes much easier when your intentions are, you know, I'm going to see music because it makes me feel good. It's an important part of my recovery. You know, I'm with my friends. There's a lot more wrapped up in that um, visit for you. And I think that that has to be noted as you, um, you know, go into all these activities when you're in recovery. Uh, you know, music or and, anything. Well, oh, yeah, and I think it's I think it's important. You know, when 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 new people come into the rooms of AA, I always I always try to tell them like because when I first walked in, I was like, I do not identify 
with anyone in these rooms. They all smoke. They're all like 80 years old. Um, but I tell people like, you know, I promise your life's going to get better and it's going to get more fun. It's not going to get easier. Cause I always thought that getting sober would make my life quote unquote easier. Right. And I'd be on this pink cloud. Like that's, that's not how it goes, but it is like, you see, you see the joy in life. And I've been to Grateful Dead shows. I've been to Grateful Dead shows when Jerry was alive, where one time I was at the medic's office the whole time because I smoked somebody passed me a joint and it was laced with something. And um, I had a really bad trip, but I've been to Grateful Dead shows where the whole purpose of us being there was just to get completely annihilated, right? Yeah. Just dull the senses and not, and to me, like now when I go see, well, Dead and Company, mm-hmm. sober, it's like a totally different experience because A, you remember the night, B, you remember the music and C, like you can, feel the energy like if you're if you're just worried about like standing in the beer line which is what I would have done 20 30 years ago then you miss you miss the whole you miss the whole point you miss the whole thing you miss the show 100 percent. so I just I just try to tell people when they come in like don't don't worry your life's not going to be boring Cause I feel like, especially all these younger people that come in and I say younger, like thirties, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, what am I going to do with my life? And I'm like, you, you can still do the things you want to do. It might take you a little bit longer to go to a bar to see a Grateful Dead cover band, but you can do it. Right. And you're going to really experience so, it. Like you said, it's not going to be. And you're so- going to really experience it. You don't have to worry about driving home, you know, just everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, we went out a couple of weeks ago. We were at Bethel Woods, which is where uh, Woodstock was. So um, it's pre- oh. it's pretty close to our house. It's like an hour. And we went to see um, Matt, Nathan, okay. Matt Nathanson play there. They have a building that's like a Woodstock museum, and they have a small little theater there. But we've been, been to the outdoor shows there. But, you know. If if I was in the past, you know, driving home from there at like eleven o'clock at night, it's all like single lane back roads through the woods. You know, that is a daunting drive for people. And I know people are doing oh, it. Oh, it's awful. You know, people are doing it. Um, you know, I would do it in the past. So I know other people are. And um I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, my wife still, you know, my wife still drinks. She'll have a beer when we're at a concert. She's normal and can do that. Um, I don't quite understand that power, Um, (laughs) but she's, she's got it right. And she can also just go and not have a beer and like, and be perfectly content as well. Um, But, you know, the fact that I can drive home is just like so nice and um, always recall the events so for the past 10 years, I've, yeah. I've had that ability and boy, it's nice. Um, and just to be present there. Oh, it is nice. 
And yes. Some and like, shows. you know, talking about, um, you know, being present, I, I really haven't talked about my kids, which, you know, obviously yes. they're still, they're the number one priority in my life, but um, they're 20, they're, let's see, 22, 20 and 16 now. Okay. So I have three girls and, um, you know, when, when I was drinking, I, I know that I was not a good mom. I was, um, I would lose my temper so often. I was a yeller. I was a screamer. Um, you know, and, and now I feel like I'm a good parent to them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they, they know my background, they know my family's background, they know the alcoholism and, you know, the two older ones drink Mm -hmm. and I know they drink. Um, and I, all I can do is offer them my experience and what I know and, um, and hope if one of them does need to make it to the room that they know how to get there. Yeah, I, um, listen, my mom was a drinker, as I said, um, I did not drink through high school, so my story is a little different than yours, I, I did not start drinking until I was 18, and in a weird, uh, coincidence, my mom went into AA probably within days of me starting drinking, like, it was like a switch, and, um, oh, wow, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I, cause I don't remember the exact first day I drank, but we're within weeks of each other. And, um, and then I watched her, you know, sobriety journey. Um, but you know, I will say that I knew every pitfall, right. And I was so adamant that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do it. And then I ended up there anyway. And, um, you know, it's like, I worry about that with my kids, um, but I've been so honest about it, and I'm, I'm sure you know you you you're, seem to be very honest with your girls about you know all this. Yes. So I I think it's a little bit different. I, the honesty really wasn't there in my case. It was all very hidden and you know kind of behind yeah. the scenes. Oh, for sure. So I think there's a difference. So I, th- you know, my hope there's is there's a big difference that you're doing. And I don't know right. how, I don't know how old you are. How old are you? I am 45, um, and I have two okay. two boys, so 17 and 11. So one is a little, you know, kind of just older than your your one daughter, and then we have an 11 year old. Um, so my 17 year old knew me as a drinker, a little bit. And my 11-year-old mm-hmm. has no recollection of me any different than I am now, um, you know. So it's, you know, it's a weird... And the reason why I asked how old you were is because I think, you know, my parents are, they're still alive. Um, they're both 78. But I think that was that generation, um, the way they subscribe to just, you know, everything was kind of veiled, at yes. least in my house. You know, we didn't talk about anything or. Um, yeah, I mean, I you think, know, like about. 
that was just the time, right? It just, it was yeah. so kind of, you know, if there was a problem, you kind of swept it under the rug to keep up appearances kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for sure. And, and like, you know, my mom was, had me when she was like 18. My dad was like a hippie, you know, there were no real appearances to keep up, <laughs> but, but still the same, right. the same, um, you know, methodology of, of just like, Hey, nothing's wrong here. Um, and I, and I think it's just getting better over time. I, I know like people, you know, you know, around our age, we're a little bit more open. And then you look at, you know, I'm sure your kids are very open and expressive, um, you know, with their, with their thoughts and ideas. And I see that, you know, with the younger generations. So it gives me hope that we're, mm-hmm. that we're, we're trending in a better direction. I don't know. At least in, I hope in, so. At least in that regard, you know, there's other directions where <clears throat> maybe not so much. And, uh, I did want to talk to you about the, this week. Cause, um, so as good of a segue as we could have, um, you know, this, right. this week I saw you posted something about the shooting in Nashville and, um, you know, I reached out uh, on it and, you know, I don't know if you're comfortable saying who was involved in, you know, was, was there or not. Um, but if you wanted to just give a little flavor of what, what this week meant to you. Um, well, yeah, I, um, my, my niece and nephew attend that school. Um, and I was, um, I'm in social work. So Monday I was in between, um, going to clients for home visits and my other brother called me, um, and said, what's the name of Luke's my brother Luke. Mm-hmm. What's the name of Luke's kid's school? Is it Covenant? Is it Covenant Christian School? And I said, Yeah, I think that's right. I said, Yeah, that sounds right. Why? And he said, Well, because there was a school shooting there. And I was in the middle of the road. Um, I said, What? I said, No, that can't be right. I mean, this school, you know, you don't you don't necessarily think of a school shooting um, at an ugly school. I don't, I don't mean to like say it in this way, but right. like I had just, I had just been in Nashville with my brother and his kids for my birthday in February. So it had been like a month, literally a month since I'd been there and we passed the school on the way and I used to live in Nashville so this school slash church was right down from my old apartment and on the way to dinner my birthday dinner we passed the school and I was like oh my gosh that you know it's such a pretty school and it's just got this like winding entrance and he's like yeah we're really happy there and we had gone to my niece Ava's volleyball game and I met a bunch of the parents and it's just like a really it's a small school it's really tight-knit um you know and I was like 
I, I told my brother Tripp who called, I said, I, I got to go. I said, call me back when you find out. Cause I didn't believe, I just didn't believe it was true. Right. You know, I mean, what are the odds that your niece and nephew are going to be involved in a school shooting, much less your own children. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I got, I pulled over and I got on my phone and I saw, you know, covenant Christian school. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I tried to call my brother and it went straight to voicemail. And then he finally texted us and said, you know, we're on the way to meet the kids. They're fine. They're, uh, they're okay. And at that point, I don't think they knew how many, how many people were killed. Um, But, you know, it was just, awful and it's just still awful to think about your your own flesh and blood like being involved in something like that right because it's always you know oh this this can never happen here or this can never happen to us Mm -hmm. um but i think that's where that's where the importance of emotional sobriety comes in sure because emotional sobriety is the absolute red to the fabric of sobriety. Anyone can put a drink down, right? Yeah. Anyone. But it's what you're left with. Um, and, you know, I just, I've just been reflecting on it and, and trying to understand why and, um, you know, it's unfortunately it stinks because you have to see this and it's like, for me, it's like a car crash. I can't not look, yeah. you know, I can't not look at the body cam, um, images, but I, I just know that my brother and my brother and my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew are just absolutely gutted. And, you know, it's going to be a long, long road to healing for them. But, you know, Luke's, Luke's a sober parent too. And I just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful for that because he's going to make it through. And I told him, I said, I know this is going to be hard, but, you know, this is something that you have to just get through. It's never going to be forgotten. Right. I mean, no, I, you know, listen, but, in relation to his sobriety, I think it's, you know, when you have a tragedy in your life and you can handle it, you know, and you, you have that time and in, in your recovery and your sobriety, you know, you can react appropriately so he's there for his kids and he can mm-hmm. you know figure out a real plan and understand you know what has to happen so there's something there for sure and that that is great that he has that ability um because you know you know it's not going to make that situation any better if somebody's drinking right like i've had tragedy happen Absolutely over my past not. yeah my past 10 years and you know the first thing I thought wasn't to drink because I know 100% it's just going to make this 10 times harder. Um, you know, I, I can't. Exactly. It makes it harder. Nothing, nothing's going to help. No, 
no, by I, that, right? I, yeah. I can't imagine being a parent in that situation. My wife, um, I I work at home a couple of days a week, and I was up. I was traveling when when the incident took place, and then I think maybe the body cam footage came out Wednesday, so I was home and I was in my office, and I got a text from my wife like that she was just so sad watching it, and it it is. It's like. I, you know, I don't know how many more times we can be so sad about something, you know, and I just, I know it's like, and it, they seem to always hit you a little bit differently for whatever reason. Each, each event has its own sort of feeling. And, um, I don't know. It just, it's a, you know, I, I just, um, I don't even know where to begin, you know, and it's, it just seems to happen all the time and and i don't you know it's got to be something just like it's something broken and and um in our just how That's, we are as people in this country right you know we are just broken people yeah yeah um you know and it's sad it's very sad i mean i and i don't want to get into politics no. or anything but it just it's it seems to happen here, you know, it it doesn't happen in other countries like it happens here. Right. And I just think that the, you know, the mental health issue is just, you know, and I, I work in social work and a lot of my clients um, have schizophrenia and autism and, um, you know, it's just the mental illness thing yep. is, is so prevalent here and I know that you know I don't know I, I just it, don't know what to say yeah. I just um I, I don't think people are people are not getting access to you know mental health treatment like they should I yeah I don't think so either I think that there's a real you know again maybe it's not a um well, one, I know there's a lack of ability, right? Like, because if you try to get a therapy appointment these days, it's difficult. You know, I know it's It's difficult. impossible. And it shouldn't be. It yeah. Should, you know, it should be very mm -hmm. prevalent, right? They're cutting programs in schools. I know that, you know, New Jersey, you know, we had a, a resource counselor at my son's high school, and they cut that that program. I, I believe it's back now because there was such a backlash but like mm -hmm. for some of those kids, that was their only access to that type of mental health uh, treatment, um, you know, and, you know, we are very unique in this country where we have these mass shootings, you know, our deaths of despair are on the rise, right? So suicide, OD, you know, just, kill, you know. All these types of deaths are just, you know, rising or, you know, everything is kind of going the wrong direction. Uh, and it just seems like what we shouldn't be doing is cutting mental health programs. We should be helping, you know, figure out how to get more out into the communities and, and, and talking to people and understanding, you know, why they aren't happy. Like what is missing? You know, I, it just feels absolutely like some, something's missing. Right. If you walk around, it just feels like, you know, is it is it a lack of, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems. So I, I understand it. Right. Everything's expensive and jobs are hard. And 
but it just feels like there's something else missing, you know, some, some fundamental bit. And, uh, boy, I hope we can get to the, the solution over time. I really I, do. Oh, I do too. I just, I do too. It just, uh, it really makes me sad. I can't, I don't know how many more images of kids, you know, running away, crying, uh, from, from a shooting we can take, you know, and, and then you have, so, I... you know, your daughter's 16, so she's in high school. They do lockdown drills, right? At this, I, I'm, yeah, yeah. It breaks my heart, and and the way she, you know, the way. Um, I I remember I asked her about it one day because the the school board sent out you know an email saying we're going to do lockdown drills, and you know this was like last year I think, mm-hmm. and. I was like, oh, how'd it go? She was like, oh, it's fine. You know, and she rolled her eyes and it just like, it made me want to cry because I was like, you know, we used to do, you know, you guys probably didn't do this, but we had, you know, we're Tornado Alley. So we did tornado drills. Right. Where we like got in the halls and put our, you know, hands over our necks and face the lockers. And to me, that was just, so frightening yeah right and it's a storm you know and the way she just was so like nonchalant about it like oh it was fine you know i get the same thing from from my 11 year old right like he's kind of just it doesn't phase him you know i walked into their school bathroom and there's signs about what to do in a grammar school bathroom if there's a shooting right like you're you're somehow assuming that an eight-year-old can manage to hold themselves together and follow some written instructions when they're in a bathroom stall like if god forbid something happened it's like that is crazy that we're okay with that and i just i know you know and and just the changes because i went to the same high school that my kids went to Mm -hmm. and just the changes at the front door, you know, the front, the double doors at the front were just wide open. Right. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, there's three, I think three layers of glass. that's probably bulletproof before you even get to Becky, the front, the front office person. Right. Right. So, and you have to be buzzed in and there's a camera and, you know, it's just, it's, it just doesn't feel and the, the same, same thing at yeah. the kids, you know, grade school. Yep. It doesn't feel like school. It feels like a prison almost. Yeah, it's all just again, you know, it feels like it it started heading in a bad direction, you know. You know, in 96, you know, when Columbine and then it's just been getting progressively worse. So, I just um I hope that we can find some solutions here. Um, you know, for the the shootings and also just for folks' happiness in general, you know, well being. Yes. Because you know. Yes. ODs are on the rise. Um, you 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 said you work in this in you know in the industry and uh, you know we're gonna top a hundred thousand ODs. Oh, I mean. You know, a hundred thousand ODs in a year. It's just, you know, we shouldn't be there, um, as this. No, we shouldn't be. I mean, there's literally like 
there's Narcan everywhere yep. around my building. Yeah. It's just, yep. which is necessary. And now with the, you know, with the fentanyl, with the you know, fentanyl lease, now it's fentanyl lease marijuana. Yes. I know. You, you, you know, it is just, we're in a very weird uh, time. And I hope, again, you know, with people sharing stories like us um and then you know yeah you know advocating for mental health help i you know the hope is that we can get somewhere better um i just you know i, I think i think really you know really i mean for me um i had to you know release release my shame and release that stigma and i feel like i share my story i'm transparent and if somebody doesn't like it, then they don't have to be in my life. Right. You know, that's, that's kind of the way I feel because this is who I am. And for such a long time, I, um, I tried to deny my true authentic self and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I, I live my life uh, the way I want to. And, Hopefully I can, with when I share my story, hopefully someone identifies with it, with it they, and says, wow, she got sober, I can get sober. And and somebody will. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? Um, that's why I do that, you know, do this. I was, I was talking to somebody today about it, why I decided pretty early on to just be transparent. Um, one was like I became accountable to this huge group of people. Right, not just people in an AA room, but like everybody. I was accountable to everybody all of a sudden, and yes. uh, that's yes. that helped me so much. Um, you know, because I I was like, wow, now everybody knows, and this is kind of who I am, and you know, and I and I embrace it. Um, but I also know that like, you know, sharing has helped people, so I have true. You know, and I'm sure you have had that too, where somebody said, "Hey, you know, your stories helped me, and you figured it out, and you know, maybe you helped that person, you know, find a meeting or, or you know, find their path in in recovery." And it's just, it's a powerful tool. So, um, absolutely, it really is. I mean, I I feel like, you know, I feel like we're making small strides in. Um, you know, ending the stigma about alcoholism and addiction. And, you know, there's like this trendy movement towards alcohol free all of a sudden in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, there's alcohol free spirits. I know somebody that's a national salesperson for, um, it, it doesn't make sense to me, alcohol free spirits. I've actually had um, an alcohol free, I think tequila sunrise. Yep. And it was okay. I don't have to do it on a regular basis, but, um, it just tastes kind of spicy. I'm not even sure what it's made of, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people that on Instagram and I'm glad you brought up the social media thing because I have this whole like network, like you, like I would have never met you. Right except you're, you're sober and you're on Instagram. And so, you know, for that, I'm grateful. And I started doing that during COVID because 
you know, I wasn't going to meetings as often. And I started to just, you know, I guess my algorithm was like, oh, you should follow this person, this person, this person. And so, um, you know, I just think it's great that we're all out there like sharing our experience and our strength and, you know, the hope that, that we, we can do this. And because if I can get sober, anyone can get sober. That's it. It's, you know, you just got to do the work, (laughs) right? I mean, that's how I feel. Like I did it and there was, trust me, looking back, I never thought that it was possible because I had some misstarts and, um, and then I just, I had to have it stick at, at the end. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Instagram space is great. Um, I've tried other platforms for uh, sobriety and recovery and just not the same, you know, there's a good group of people that I am connected to now. And, you know, I like seeing their posts. I like seeing their successes, you know, their children's Mm -hmm. success, you know, their success, not only as a person, but as a family. And I think it's just a great, it's a great tool. Um, you know, it just makes your network that much bigger. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you before we laugh, because I, I like, you know, I know you love music and you probably have a good pulse on things. Um, I want to leave everybody uh, on these episodes with just something to take away, you know, something fun, um, you know, be it music or a movie or a book, you know, do you have any couple things that are really, you know, uh, in your, in your head right now that you would like to get out there? Music wise. Um, Well, (laughs) you know, I love the Grateful Dead. So, um, Next Friday, I'm actually going to see uh, a Grateful Dead cover band uh, here that's been around for like 40 years. They're called Jake's Leg. Um, But there's one person that I started following on Instagram, and I don't know if you follow her, but her name's Gabby Bernstein. Yep. And do you know of her? I do. I do. Yeah, I know. I don't know her, but I know of her work. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Maybe one day she'll be on your podcast. (laughs) Um, No, but I started reading um, her book, The Universe Has Your Back. And it's amazing. Um, I've also read, um, are you familiar with The Angry Therapist? I am. I do follow him. Okay, so I started reading his book Single on Purpose, which is amazing. Yes. Um he is not sober, but he um he's just a, I I love the guy. He's just amazing and raw and honest. Um he, Yeah. He is. I just He uh, did a retreat recently with a bunch of guys. Um and it, it was He did. Yeah. And I thought, well, it might be interesting, but I don't know that I'm really up for something like that. So uh, I'll leave that space for somebody who's really into it, but he is an interesting character for sure. Um, I have heard, um, you said movies I have heard and I've not seen it yet, but, um, somebody was talking about it this morning in the meeting. Um, there's a movie with Morgan Freeman called the good person. I don't know. That um, one. and it's about addiction. Um, 
but it's apparently a great movie okay. if you're looking for a good movie about like addiction and alcoholism. Okay. Well, those are some good ones. I have two. Yeah. I have two this week, and I'm going to start with my music one, and it's a little bit weird, um, but I've recently started to really like Taylor Swift. Um, I I don't. I love it. I, <laughs> yeah, and it was like there's a so she has a song Bad Blood, and then there's a version of it where she sings it with Kendrick Lamar, the rapper who I adore, and I heard it on the radio maybe a couple of weeks ago. And since then I can't get that version of that song out of my head. And, um, my younger son will throw some Taylor Swift on as well. So we've been rocking some Taylor Swift lately. Um, and I'm okay That's with that. That's sweet. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, her last album, maybe not her last, I don't know the one before where she sang with Bonnie Vare. I really like that too. So she's talented. Um, you know, not she's everybody's super cup talented. of no. Not everybody's cup of tea, but she's talented, and uh, you know. No. Um, and then I think one. Well, one one thing I've been listening to a lot is Jason Isbell. I love him. Oh, so good, so good, and sober. Yes. And sober, exactly. And sober. I love it when I love it when there's like a sober musician or celebrity. I think it's so cool, and I love how they're so transparent and open about it. Because yeah. I think that helps too. He um he has a documentary releasing on HBO Max. I think I he... know. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. He is. Uh, he's an. I can't interesting wait. Guy. I think it's next week. Yeah, I think it is next week too. We we had we had gotten lucky enough to see him um, about two years ago at a festival, and it was a very very good show. I mean, just the band was tight and it was awesome. It was, it was well well worth the drive to Buffalo, New York to see him. Um, and like, he's married to Amanda Shires, who's super talented and, you know, I mean, just, it's pretty amazing. Musicians are amazing people. Um, they really are. They just, you know, and even like the, you know, You'll you'll see them locally, right? And and you'll see somebody you've never heard of, and and they blow your mind with a song they wrote. You're like, how is that person not famous? That's how I feel a lot when I see like a local musician. I love it. I know. You know, it's like, why is that person not famous? Um, and some of it is just pure, you know, being in the right spot in the right time, or you know, and and then a lot of it is grinding, right? Like you know, being able to grind it out is hard. Um. The other thing that I oh, you're right about that. Really like lately is uh, well, not lately. I was thinking of shows and one that my wife and I watched. Like we really watched this one, and I forget how quick we did it, but it it was embarrassing how fast we watched this series. Was the Americans? Did you, <laughs> did you ever see that one? Um, I think it was. Yes, a, a, I love that. The Russian spies in America. Oh, so good, and. Uh, Yes, and those those two are actually a real life couple. Yes, yes. I don't know if you knew that. We I didn't when we went into the show, and then I think we realized it like partway through, and um, just an amazing show. I mean, I keep wanting it to like come back so I can see more. But me uh, too, me too. I know it's not going to happen, but it is something that I think is well worth watching. I mean, and it it was 
done so well. You know, the period, it, you know, that 80s vibe of it was just so good. You know? Yes. I never oh, got, I, know, I love it. I never got taken out of the, uh, the timeline. There was nothing that was, was wrong visually. Um, sometimes in those shows, like people will get like a lighting fixture wrong or something, but they did such a good job. It was, it was really fun to watch. Um, and you know, we could get through two or three episodes a night. No problem on that one. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. So now, now the, the, the trick is to find the new one like that. Um, so, but those are my, my recommendations for the week. Um, I guess, you know, we're, I don't want to take your whole night up, but you know, if you wanted to leave anybody with like, kind of like a last thought and what would that be for you? Probably a last thought would be don't give up before the miracle happens because it will happen. Um, alcohol is a drug. Alcohol is a poison. Um, and your life will get so much better if you quit. Um, and yeah. I like it. I guess that's it. I like it. Don't give up before the miracle <laughs> happens. I mean, that is, that's yeah, true. Yeah, don't give up. Yeah. I mean, I think you just got to keep I mean, going. life's not going to get easier. Life's never going to get easier. But it's going to get better. Right. Right. And I think people sometimes mistake hard and bad for the same thing. Yes. You know? Yes. And that's not true. Right. It's, you know, hard does not equal bad. Um, and, you know, you could have bad. No, and maybe. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. I mean, no, I was just going to say um, when I first got sober, I thought, OK, well, I'll divorce my husband. I'll get a brand new shiny husband because I'm sober. I'll get a great job. You know, my kids are just going to be this, this and this. But that doesn't necessarily happen right away. But I try to live my life just doing the next right thing. That's and I know that things are going to fall in place for me. Yeah, and that the universe is guiding me. So I, I just have to give it up and let my life unfold. And that's what I do. Good, good. Well, we'll leave on that one. Um Again, I want to thank Jeannie for coming on tonight and, you know, sharing her story and, you know, just being open and honest. I think it was really interesting, um, you know, and you really went deep on, you know, how you got, you know, into your life of addiction and then out of it. And um, it's definitely going to touch somebody. So thank you again for being here. And I will be seeing you so. online, um, I'm sure. Yes, I will. And thank you so much. And thank you to everyone that has listened to my story. And have a great weekend. Great. And almost. Yes, almost weekend. And everybody, I think I'm supposed to tell you to like <laughs> like the podcast, follow the podcast, all that stuff. Um, I will figure out what that means. But um, if you could do that and give us some reviews, that would be awesome. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.